The show is here. Yo, our mission is clear. It's time to change healthcare. Have no fear. Today is the day. This is the hour. Together, you know we've got the power. Drop the silos. We're all the same team. Patients, docs, nurses, tech, and marketing. How can anyone be satisfied with the way things have always been? Yeah, we've tried. So join us now. Join the revolution. Digital health is the evolution. Status quo, more like status, no. Yeah, this is the healthcare rap. Y'all come on, let's go. Welcome to the healthcare rap, where we are ushering in the future of healthcare and the status quo no longer exists where we are challenging assumptions about marketing and technology, and we check yesterday's thinking at the door. Where truth drops like an atom bomb, and knowledge flows like Niagara Falls. Each week we challenge assumptions that have been holding back healthcare marketing, and explain how we can do better. Join us. This is the Healthcare Wrap. Welcome back. I'm your host, Jared Johnson, and thanks for joining us this week. On the Healthcare Wrap, we believe that the healthcare experience has to change, and we're trying to do something about it. If you want to help healthcare be more about consumers and innovation, then this is the place for you. We're going to help you find your place in this new movement, and you're going to be one of the ones leading meaningful change. Each week, we speak with leaders who are part of this movement. We share tips on shifting the way that healthcare is experienced digitally and the backstage strategies to stay ahead of the curve in your marketing, operations, and technology. This is episode number 139. We're now in season four, which is all about digital innovation and career guidance. One resource we provide to help you become an agent of change is the Shift.Health Content Network, which is an influential thought leadership platform that currently includes 25 podcasts and video series. One of my favorite series on Shift.Health is The Resilience Journey, This series was created for everyone who's struggling with an unexpected job change, a derailed career plan, or unfulfilling work. Join me as I uncover the unexpected moments in the career journeys of admirable leaders by digging into the moments in their careers that we don't often hear about. The first season is free and available on demand. So go subscribe and check it out. Okay, so here's what's going to go down today. We've got the flavor of the week about walking the walk with our brand marketing. Then speaking of the resilience journey, the rest of today's program is an encore interview from that series featuring Robin Farman Farmian, a healthcare and biotech entrepreneur, professional speaker, and angel investor with a mission to impact 100 million patients. What I enjoy the most from speaking with Robin is how she speaks passionately about her experience being pushed down overlooked, and ignored earlier in her career, despite bringing millions of dollars of revenue through the door. I think you'll enjoy learning how Robin used thought leadership to gain the credibility she always deserved. She'll be candid about how she has overcome gender bias and harassment in the workplace, and she'll share how her five-year plan was a turning point to more success than she's ever seen. It's time to dive right in. So you ready? Let's go. Flavor of the week. Leave it to Dan Dunlop to get our minds thinking. Last week, I had the pleasure of co-presenting with Dan at Virtual Hitmic at the third of four sessions presented by one of my favorite online communities, the Healthcare and IT Marketing Community, or Hitmic. Because our session was titled The Future of Healthcare Provider Marketing, we shared five approaches that healthcare organizations need to consider making or keeping, old habits that need to be broken, and what changes will be permanent because of COVID-19. One of Dan's points stuck with me long after the presentation, the need for healthcare organizations to walk the walk when it comes to their brand marketing. He focused on three main areas. First, we must keep healthcare disparities in the spotlight by actively acknowledging and addressing the social determinants of health. We cannot let this important dialogue get shoved to the side or neglected. 
COVID has disproportionately impacted communities of color. That's a fact. We need to actively focus on community collaborations with public health care entities and keep this dialogue in the spotlight. Second, we need to build on the goodwill that our frontline workers have rightfully earned by putting their lives on the line. He highlighted the importance of brand experience over simple advertising. Organizations must build up equity during good times so they can leverage that equity when needed. And third, we have to treat those frontline workers well and put substance in our employee appreciation campaigns. In other words, if healthcare heroes campaigns are only lip service, they can actually backfire on behalf of the millions of nurses, clinicians, and other workers who are supposed to be the ones being honored. All of this comes back to understanding that more than ever, the experience is the brand, and you can almost guarantee that someone else is not experiencing healthcare in the same way you are. That's what our brands need to be about, and we need to do more than just say it. We need to show it. The opportunity's here, and the time is now. It's time to walk the walk with our brand marketing. And that's the flavor of the Week. Robin, thank you so much for joining me on the resilience journey. I'm thrilled to have you there. There are only so many people who live at the kind of this, this intersection of medicine, of healthcare, of thought leadership, of so many other things. And I'm just thrilled to have you on the program today. I'm so excited to talk to you. This is fun. I'll tell you what, I think it'd be good. Maybe we can start with kind of where you are now in your career journey, because then I want to back that up and kind of work backwards of the journey that has taken you here, because it has not been a straight shot, clear path type of journey. There have been a lot of obstacles you've dealt with and overcome. And that's one reason I wanted to have you on to talk through that, because there are mindsets that come with that. There are ways you had to think your way through things to be able to be as successful as you are right now. And the short way to say it is the place where you are right now is a combination of many things. Professional speaker, an entrepreneur, an angel investor. You're focused on cutting edge healthcare and biotech companies that I know at least recently these companies were poised to impact 100 million patients. These aren't just small things that you, you find somebody on the street saying, oh yeah, like that's the impact of potentially of what I'm working on day to day. So my goodness, fill us in a little bit, you know, kind of what, what's the current venture? What's taking up your time these days? Where are you spending your time? So as you mentioned, I, I am a professional speaker so, and author. I just finished writing my third book, which is going to be coming out hopefully soon. Needs formatting and all of that. But I've done about 150 keynotes now in 14 countries. And I'm also an early stage entrepreneur. So I've worked with over 20 early stage companies. I've co-founded five myself. I've worked on everything from early stage pharma, curing cancer, literally, we were working on repairing P53. I've invested in things like inhaled insulin, vaccine for herpes. I'm working on virtual reality for stroke and brain injury rehabilitation. And I even co-founded a nonprofit that worked on cryopreservation for organ transplants and tissue engineering with the DOD and the White House. Fantastic. Biotech is just, it's a fun place to live. It really is. There are so many cutting edge things going on. And where I wanted to kind of pull this out and start us in a direction is the thought leadership piece of this. Now, you've mentioned to me in the past, you have, you've written a couple of books, you've written uh, The Patient as CEO, you've written The Thought Leader Formula, and you've mentioned to me in the past that these books came at a low point in your career and a new direction kind of came about of that. So let's start with that. Talk us through that, kind of what the low point was, if, if you will, and, and let's get to the point of, of how you figured out this new direction. Sure. So at the time, this was years ago, seven, eight years ago now, I, uh, I was in Silicon Valley, maybe a little longer, and I worked on a couple of companies and I was really being pushed down. One company, they wouldn't even list me as an employee on the website, me or any of the other women, by the way, it was only the men were allowed to be on the website. 
Next company, I had brought in millions of dollars because I do high-level biz dev and sales. And I brought in millions of dollars. They kept deleting me from the website, deleting my name from emails, taking credit from my work, literally stealing my work and just pushing me down and sabotaging me every way you could do it. And I tried to fight it the normal way. I went to the CEO, HR. They all knew what was going on. They saw Some of them saw it happen. One of the major sponsors saw me being attacked by one of the men who was sabotaging me right and left. And he complained to the CEO and the CEO said, eh. I realized, wow, all these people know. And th- I mean, this is, it was horrific. Like I would wake up every morning shaking and crying. I'm like, how can I go to this job where I'm bringing in millions and I'm one of like, the people who are actually working 12-hour days to be pushed down at this level. And I realized HR is not there to protect employees. It's there to protect the company. And so as soon as I realized that, I was like, you know what? I got to change the game because I am not going to win it. I'm not someone who can sabotage or, or fight fire with fire that way. I'm not an eye for an eye kind of person. I have to do it my own way and follow the rules and go inside the boundaries. And so I said, you know what? I'm just going to change the game. I went home one weekend and I created a five-year project plan for myself to become a professional speaker. And I said, you know what? If I am famous for what's in my brain, no one can pretend to call me an executive assistant anymore. Nobody can sabotage or steal my work because I'm the one on stage. I'm the one everyone is listening to. And so no one can hurt me anymore. Let me tell you, The day my first book published, which was about a year and a half or so into my project plan, was like flipping a light switch on sabotage and sexism or gender discrimination in the workplace. Nobody has even remotely called me an executive assistant. Most of the time I'm called Dr. Furman Fermian now, despite the fact that I studied management and finance. (laughs) People think I'm the CEO or the chief science officer and nobody treats me like that anymore and nobody tries to sabotage me anymore. It's one of those things, I'm glad the world is waking up. You know, I've just got to say that. I feel like having these kinds of conversations, acknowledging what's really happened in the world. Can we go there for a little bit? How has that changed? How have you seen it manifest? I mean, what, what is that like? So one weird example, and this was a third company I was working for. So this wasn't just like one company. This was probably about a quarter of the companies I worked for before I became a professional speaker. And I was at one of the company events. I was the only woman in the company at that point. The attorney who I met that day for the company picked me up and put his hands all over my body three different times. Literally, I'm five feet tall and about 88 pounds. He was 6'2 and I don't, you know, over 200 pounds. And he kept picking me up and squeezing me and putting his hands all over me in front of the entire male team. The third time he, he, and he would lunge for me to do it. So it's not like I was even next to him. Finally, the CEO looked at him and said, I don't think Robin likes you doing that. And like, it took you three times of this man sexually abusing me, putting his hand on my breast and on my butt in front of the entire team before you say, no, maybe you shouldn't be doing that, lawyer. <laughs> if the lawyer for the firm is the one doing the sexual harassment, what do you do about that? I'm sorry. I'm sad to hear about these kinds of things. It's not the first time I've heard about these kinds of things. And it's sad every time just to know what really goes on. I just think that that's part of this conversation that that we're not ignoring in our conversation today. That has legitimately impacted the direction that you have gone from there. So let's talk a little bit more about you know the, the book. You, you decided at one point, okay, yeah, things are not going the way that they ought to go. 
there's a lot of unfairness here. There's a lot of hurt here. There's a lot that doesn't make sense. You powered through that and you decided to go a different direction. Tell us about that. Like, what was your mindset as you decided, okay, I'm going to pick a new direction? I'm always someone, I've hit rock bottom more times than most people have tried. And so I'm always that person. I'm, I think if anyone has Googled me, I'm a chronic disease patient as well with Crohn's disease. And I've had six major surgeries, three organs removed and 43 hospitalizations. And so in those kinds of things, you are used to just taking a deep breath and saying, all right, let's go after this in a new way, because if I don't, I'm going to die. Right. And that that's in the world of healthcare. And so when it hit my career, I just did the same thing I've always done. And I took a deep breath and I said, I'm hitting my head against a wall. This has not been working the way I've been trying to approach it for the past couple of years. Let's completely just do something completely different. How do I become more powerful than the men? How do I get more noticed and get credit for my own ideas? And how do I wear that armor so that no one in the workplace touches me inappropriately again? And that was that step-by-step becoming a professional speaker. Wow, fantastic. So let's figure out that next part, right? So professional speaking, this is how you decided, you know, I'm going to be recognized and acknowledged for my ideas. I'm going to put them out there where no one else can deny where these ideas came from. It sounds like that was part of this. So talk to us about how the first book came about. I'm an events person too. So I have a BS in hospitality management as well as a graduate studies in finance. And so I know the event world through and through. I've run over 200 professional events. And before I even got into healthcare, I was president and gala chair for San Francisco Ballet. And we would uh, net $1.5 million in one night with 2,000 attendees. And so I know this world. I know the world of professional speakers because I was managing speakers and running conferences at the time. And so creating a project plan for myself, it was just the first time that I sat down and did it for me versus trying to build somebody else up. I was always the one behind the scenes, running all the events, putting the speakers on stage, putting the talent on stage, making sure they they really shined. And so it was kind of second nature. I just never had sat there and built myself up. So that was actually a little bit of a barrier. And that's, that can be difficult, for, especially for givers. So I'm one of those people who likes to really help other people. And, and it makes me happy to feed people or lift them up or get them a job. Like that gives me a lot of pleasure. And so to do that for yourself, it's one of those weird things that you kind of have to take a deep breath and get over yourself and be like, all right, I deserve to do this. <laughs> And then I just created that project plan. It's step-by-step, including marketing, when to hire PR agents, when to hire a marketing company, when should I be launching a book. I knew I had to do all of those things. So I, I just came up with that plan, starting with hiring the PR, very first thing I did, and an editor to help me create a a really perfect content catalog of six to 10 articles that could really sum up the platform I wanted to launch myself. And once I did that and my PR agency got it in some really good publications like Inc or Forbes or HuffPo or Wired, any of those, then I hired a team to help me with my slide deck and my storyline. Because while I knew the material, I understand point of care diagnostics. What I was doing was patient empowerment and, and shifting healthcare into the home. I know that content really well, but I didn't know how to package it really well. And so what I did is I hired for about $10,000. So I brought on a very high-end team to do perfect slides, which by the way, I still use some of those templated slides six or seven years later. And they sat with me and helped me create and package my personal story in a way that was easy to access. You know, I was just mentioning the 43 hospitalizations part and it didn't create too much sympathy because it's really hard to run that line. You've got to figure out how do you say your why without getting pity. 
right? And so bringing on help for that. And essentially, I built a company. I call it Robin Inc. And I just hired the right people to do the right things for me at the right time. Robin Inc. Coming back to this whole thought of like, people can't deny where this is coming from anymore. I just love that part of, of the whole story of where you are now. That was clearly a motivator, right? You know, of people need to get this. People need to understand where this is coming from why I've come up with it and how this idea can help them. I love that connection that you made. I mean, this isn't just so I can have people, so I can have attention. It's like, no, because there are ideas that I'm putting out there into the world that can actually make a difference somewhere. They can help somebody. And here's the way to get those ideas out there into the world and actually have them get more traction. And I really like that part. I mean, what else was motivating you during that time? My other motivation, it's the marketing and the business development aspect. So I did it for, of course, to protect myself, but really getting my ideas out, again, really big, but really the the business development aspect is huge because that's what I do for companies. I help companies raise money or do big funding partnerships or sell to hospitals or whatever, you know, like I am the biz dev person. And so once you become a professional speaker, every single door opens for you. I wanted to talk to the CTO of the VA Health and I did. Right? All I did was, I mean, like, that was easy to get to. I, t- I know the SVP of Walmart Health, right? There are certain people I can get to as a professional speaker that most people could never be able to get to. So is that the legitimacy of the book? Is it the doors that it opened for you? Is it kind of everything? It's the brand, right? And the brand, the book is one tool and component. I think it's probably one of the most important tools and components, but it is one tool and component to the overall brand. And the brand is what gets me in the door. Gotcha. Let's talk about that part a little bit. You know, consciously building a brand around yourself for these reasons, for these motivations. What lessons have you learned about that along the way that you didn't expect? I didn't expect it to work as well as it did. (laughs) I created this kind of ecosystem and I I sat down and I said, okay, here's my goal, impact 100 million patients. Here's how I achieve that goal by doing biz dev for companies and by uh, getting my keynotes out there, the patient as CEO and really taking control of your healthcare. And then, okay, for those companies, which kind of companies do I work for? Okay, it's going to be diabetes, cardiac, neuro, cancer, autoimmune, because those are big enough to have 100 million patients that need to be impacted by those diseases. And so I literally just created that, that ecosystem. And once I had identified, okay, if I'm going to work in these big diseases, who do I need to know? And that went down from there. So it's almost kind of like a tree. Do you see how I'm like branching out? And so once I picked, okay, I'm going to do neuro or I'm going to do uh, sleep apnea, then I'm like, okay, well, biggest health systems. I need to know the people at Kaiser. I need to know the people at the VA. I need to know the Mayo Clinic, right? Like, and I picked out all the big giant healthcare systems. And so I've gotten now contacts at a lot of those by doing keynotes for CIOs and CTOs of hospital systems. And so really every step of the way, I've been quite intentional. I was about to say that's coming through in in your story, just the intentionality of it. This wasn't just, hey, put things out there and and good things are going to happen. I mean, there's a very intentional path to each step of it. Yep. And I teach people that too. So, I mean, what happened in 20, what was it 2016, right around there, 2016, 2017, when Me Too movement happened, I realized, oh my gosh, these women are going through the same thing I went through. And I hadn't, we didn't have any idea because even as someone who suffered from a lot of it, I had no idea this was happening to other women. You always think you're the only one because it's so isolating and everyone isolates you on top of that. 
when I realized how widespread it was, I said, oh, I have a solution. Become thought leader. Then people can't hurt you. Why are we trying to change people's opinions? You're not going to change, you know, a 65-year-old white male who's been prejudiced his entire life. What's it going to take to change his opinion? Quite a lot. Instead, why don't we just give the power to the women? And if the women become thought leaders or speakers, then they're high up. They can raise other women. And that's how we can change the power dynamic. And so I was like, wait, if I know how to do this, I can just teach it to other people. And I sat down in six months, had the Thought Leader Formula book written and published. And what it was is uh, it's really those step-by-step instructions on how to become known for your ideas. I love it. And you know me, I mean, I'm very much a an evangelist for thought leadership. I just feel like ideas really are what change the world, what change people and they change our behaviors. It's not a lot of sensationalized media or, or news articles. It, it's, to me at least, it's the ideas that really get to uh, who we are and why we do what we do. And since you wrote The Thought Leader formula. Any memorable moments of as you've been able to share that message, any reactions to the book or on stage in reaction to that message, anything that stands out? It's been amazing. Everyone who's seen either some of the formula from stage or in some of my podcasts or has read the book has had really good things happen. There's one woman that I use as an example because it's just so mind-blowing. So I coached her, my friend Monica Prophet. I coached her on how to be a thought leader And she was coming from a place where she was an artist and she wanted to be known as a professional speaker in blockchain, like which is an all males club, right? And she's tiny like I am and bubbly and high energy. And it's, it can be very difficult for us when it's an all boys club. And so I said, okay, well, you know what, Monica, instead of being a thought leader at blockchain conferences, why aren't you the blockchain expert at conferences that have nobody else about blockchain? right? That's blockchain 101, that you're not competing against the men. You are just teaching everybody else blockchain 101. So you're very much away from that community, right? So she did. And she wrote a book, a very short book. It took her about eight days to write an 80-page paperback on the fundamentals of a new economy, just the very basics of blockchain 101. Because all of us, we all know the 101 of our own industries. She switched, she took my cover, switched out the photos, switched out the words, uploaded it to Amazon, Within three months, she was asked to speak at MIT. It's a year later, and she's, been, she's now spoken at Yale as well on blockchain. This is someone who was an artist a couple of years ago, and investors are coming to her to fund her startup. It's amazing. Yeah. There's a genuine power there. And what I like is the thoughts that this isn't just, again, there's, there's kind of the, there are those who can get caught up in the, the potential uh, celebrityness, I guess, the celebrity part of being a thought leader. And then there are those who are doing it genuinely to put ideas out there in the world. They think these will make a difference with people. And when you realize which reason you're becoming a thought leader, there's a lot of power to it. It's great to hear others recognize the power piece of it and understand how it can actually drive real change. And, and I love that, that part of, this, of everything you've been sharing you know, before we start to wrap up, I, I selfishly am curious, kind of like what's exciting you in biotech right now? You know, what technologies and innovations are on your radar screen? You know, what, before you lay down at night, you're like, oh man, I can't, you know, I'm excited about this thing. What's going on in biotech right now that's exciting you? I'm working on a few companies. One, I'm just joining the advisory board is a longevity company. And the reason I'm so interested in longevity and life extension is because really it just means knocking out those top 10 diseases that kill us. Like if we knock out heart disease, we can, you know, that's the number one killer in the United States. 700,000 people a year die from organ failure, 
right? If we can knock that out, then we are extending people's lives. So I'm really into longevity movement. Just coming on board, a company that is clearing senescent cells. Now, for those of you who aren't familiar with senescent cells, they're the kind of the cells that they're no longer replicating. So they're dead essentially in your body, but they are still on the sideline shouting out to the other shells, cells saying there's something wrong because they're no longer replicating, which causes inflammation. And so by clearing the senescent cells in the adipose tissue, in the fatty tissue, we could potentially be actually turning back the clock. And so the co-founder took his own medication. It's a supplement that we're going to go out with. Normally, I do the deep pharma. Like I do the small molecules that take 15 to 20 years to get to, to market. This one is a supplement, but he took it himself and he, he's in his 60s. And he was kind of looking in the mirror. And he's looking at his head and he's like, why do I have so many blackheads? He's like, is the supplement doing this? He looks closer. It was new hair growth. <laughs> Holy cow. By clearing the senescent cells. And so we are going to go out as a supplement, you know, a direct-to-consumer OTC. But in the background, once we get some money through that, we're going to start doing clinical trials around using certain combinations and dosing for autoimmune disease and neurodegenerative disease. Love it. Yeah. Love it. Man, I, I love talking about this kind of stuff. Yep. <laughs> this is this is what gets me excited, you know, about the intersection of healthcare and tech and innovation. The other one I'm working on, which is really cool, is cryopreservation. Now, I started a nonprofit years ago where we actually made a massive impact in the world of cryopreservation, and now I am on the advisory board of one of the startups that spun out of that. They have solved the problem, so this is a really big deal in the world of organ transplants. Eighty percent of hearts go unused; donor hearts go unused because the heart only lives about four hours outside the body, which means if you have a motorcycle victim donor heart in, say, Florida, you can't transplant that except for in the local vicinity, which means you, can't, you don't have the time to match it really well, which means you're probably going to end up either discarding the heart or somebody isn't going to get it and the wait list will just keep getting longer. And so what we need is some way to preserve hearts, kidneys, lungs, livers outside the body for longer than that four to 24 hour period. Depends on the organ. Hearts are the the ones that don't last very long. Now, what they have done is they have a non-toxic cryopreservation molecule that will hold a mouse heart for 24 hours at negative five Celsius. It's huge. So they have partnered with John Hopkins and they have already transplanted tens of mice. So last I heard it was about 25. So I'm guessing it's a lot more than that now where they had frozen the heart for 24 hours, transplanted it into a mouse and the mouse was fine. This is a huge, massive breakthrough in the world of organ transplants, but that's just the start because our vision is, as I mentioned earlier, number one killer in the United States is organ failure because heart disease, of course, is curable with a heart transplant. And so the next step is tissue engineering. And we can't do tissue engineering of things like vascularized organs without a way to keep them (laughs) frozen, right, before you get them into the patient. And so companies like Lung Biotechnologies, it's owned by United Therapeutics, they are already in pig trials, large mammal studies, with tissue-engineered lungs. They're going to be in human studies not that long from now. This is so far accelerated from what we were thinking 10 years ago, 10, or even six years ago when we were talking about this. We're like, oh, maybe we'll be able to do a whole organ in 20 years through tissue engineering. Maybe if we're lucky, it's done. They've done it. It's in trials. I can't wait to see where that goes. I still feel like we're just getting going with, with biotech. It's amazing. 
It's amazing. It's, it is. It's the beginning and it's just accelerating faster and faster. When I worked on curing cancer, we also, we had a small molecule on that P53 pathway and then two small molecules on the AHR pathway, which would be immune onc and autoimmune. We found them using machine learning. Oh, and wow. we were able to edit to the mouse trials with less than $10 million of funding. That is nothing to get it to that far. And it's because we were able to use machine learning. Wouldn't have been able to say that, uh, you know, even a few years ago. Nope. Maybe even a couple of years ago. That's fantastic. Robin, this has been so, so fun. Uh, I want to give you a final chance. Uh, anything else that's come to mind as you think about everyone who has had an, un- an unexpected effect on their job or their career pa- path this year? Career plans have just been blown up. No one knew what to expect. Uh, everyone's in a slightly different situation, but very few are in an, a position that they really were hoping for at this point. What do you have to say to, to those who are, who are just staring down uh, possible career decisions and trying to figure out what to do next? So it's terrifying. We're all terrified. We really are. I would say go to my website and get the free workbook. The workbook that comes along with the thought leader formula, the workbook part is free. Download it. It is the entire formula. It's, if you answer every question in that workbook on yourself, it is the exact platform and steps you need to become well-known for your ideas and your expertise so that it can help you get a new job, that it can help you have more negotiating power in your current job. Even like I have friends who are thought leaders and they're paid six-figure salaries from the companies that they work for. And they only have to work three days a week. And the other two days a week, they get to do advisory board or or professional keynotes and make six figures that way as well, right? There are many ways to make a lot more money with a lot more revenue streams once you're really well known for your ideas. And so I would say first step, go get that workbook because it really does just take you through the steps. And if you want all the description, just go to Amazon. It's like $8 or nine bucks or something for the ebook. Fabulous. Thanks for giving me a few minutes today, Rob. And uh, stay safe, stay well, and best of luck with everything you have going on. I can't wait to hear where things go from here. Thank you. Thank you. It was awesome talking to you today. Hey, thanks so much to Robin and thank you for listening. I hope you found some value in this conversation. And if you did, I hope you will go tell your friends and colleagues about this podcast. I wouldn't be opposed if you just went out on the street and told everyone how much you enjoyed listening to the Healthcare Wrap. Healthcare Wrap is a member of the Shift.Health content network. Go check it out at Shift.Health. It's podcasts and video series about shifting the way the healthcare is experienced. Until next time, keep marketing forward. Thanks. And that's a wrap.